Welcome to another episode of There Is A System to This Madness Podcast. I'm your host, Osaze Shabazz. Today is May 22nd, 2020. Let's get right into it. Another individual has been arrested in the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. No surprise, I had said this when this first came out, when the video came out, that the person behind the camera played a part in his murder. I said it, I said it, I said it. The way the video was filmed, the way it was so-called edited, which that's not editing, they just cut off the first part to make it look like they weren't there from the beginning. They weren't there when the father and the son jumped into their vehicles with guns and the individual was filming and following them the whole time, which means that he was in on it. It's even evidence, I have not seen the full video, but from what I've read, it is indicated that there were even parts of the full video where the third person, it's almost like they cornered him. So it's like when they cut in front of him, the father and the son, Mr. Aubrey turns around and starts running into another direction. Apparently the person filming then cuts him off and makes him run right back into the direction of the father and the son, which then they corner him again, pretty much after he passes them, they somehow catch up with him the son jumps out and pretty much a physical confrontation ensues and thus Mr. Aubrey is shot and killed. But I don't, I don't understand how they could not figure this out. Even if you look at the reaction of the person when they submitted the, the video, there was no effort in trying to help or trying to confront. Yes, I get it. You see two people chasing a person with guns and you just happen to be filming it. It wasn't like he comes around the corner in his vehicle and he sees this taking place and he pulls out his camera and starts filming it. it or, you know, not even blowing his horn to let the killers know that, hey, I'm recording you. Which, you know, if this was a real situation, if this, if his story held up, yeah, it would have jeopardized his life. And he's close enough where they could see him. They knew that there was a car behind him. So, you know, that whole story did not pan out from the start. But to sit there and try to make it seem like he was helping 
when you just you you start filming while he is running normal when really now you realize he's running to get away and you're behind him and you're filming this i mean this this you know i'm trying my best not to swear on this thing but that that's some sick shit i mean it's like you you was trying to corral a squirrel or a cat and making it go into one direction so it can be slaughtered now in my heart yeah without a doubt they wasn't thinking about killing him however it was it was harassment that went wrong seriously fatally it was more or less we're gonna we're gonna fuck with him we're gonna mess with him we're gonna play with this grown man because we don't have nothing else to do we're gonna use some bogus 911 call which of course you know they got all this on film where it shows him in a house that's under construction which me being a former uh, contractor for a company that provided material for new homes I constantly used to walk through homes that were being built especially the major ones three four hundred thousand dollar homes I used to walk through them all the time just to see you know the the layout you know pretty much dreaming that one day this could be my home and pretty much in a lot of cases with most people just being nosy the owner of the property indicated that they did not call 911 so it makes me wonder when the father and the son were saying that they got a 911 call where did they get the call from but either way you know that's you know they they whole story is garbage so the fact that the third person has been arrested and there are other inclinations that individuals in the district attorney's office was trying to cover this up because like I said in the last podcast, there are indications that the father, ex-police officer, ex-personnel in the district attorney's office pretty much didn't even have the certifications of his position so you it's it's this thing is like major again i still have issues with the direction that the legal the legal participants i mean for anything to really happen in this case it has to go federal it has to be taken out of the hands of the state of Georgia. Because first of all, people don't realize Georgia doesn't have a hate crime law. Unlike, you know, several other states. I want to say Georgia might be one of five states. It might be more, but I think Georgia is like one of five, maybe even four states. I'm not even sure. That do not have a higher penalty if a person is convicted of 
a crime based on a person's skin color, um, nationality, and what so forth, and in the form of prejudice. So for this to get full justice, it would have to go federal. And I've always stated that the only way people are going to really get a sense of what it feels like or what it means to take a person's life based on something heinous, a sentence has to be matched for the perpetrator. The only way you're going to get white people to stop killing black people is a sentence has to be handed down to these three individuals to the point where people are going to sit up and say, okay, if I mess with this group of people, it's not only going to cost me the rest of my life in jail, it might cause me to be put to death. I don't even know. I want. I want to say that somebody white has been put to death. Well, actually, the James Bird case. That that individual, to my knowledge, he was put to death. But throughout the history of the death penalty, how many white people have actually been put to death for killing a black person? Well, I'll find that out at the next um, podcast. And then another thing, a penalty, a monetary penalty has to be rendered so steep, something that really will bankrupt this city and this county to the point where it will make the police, it will make the district attorney Anybody that got anything to do with the wrongdoing of black people to say that it's not worth it. See, these little penalties that they get, you know, I mean, you look at, you know, that's another subject. And I addressed this the last time. You know, the attorney, the family attorney that black people get, they're not there to fight the case they're there to tell the wrongdoings of the perpetrator you know in a lot of cases the police the, the county or whatever their job is to lead rallies get everybody riled up and from there once a guilty sentence has been handed down and the person gets five, ten years max for the killing of a black person, then there's the civil suit. From there, the civil suit is going to be something like five, ten million dollars. That attorney, he's going to get a cut of that. By the time all the other fees are administered, the family might walk away with about 30 30% of that, 20, 30%. But that's what the lawyer 
he's hanging around for. But if they were to get, and I'm not going to use the term, a real lawyer, but get a lawyer that can do investigation, that can just prove how heinous this crime is to the point where they can sue this county to the point where literally this county will go bankrupt. This county will cease to exist. This county will lose its city, city councilmen, the county commissioner, the district attorney, judges, the mayors of these cities. This city will literally go under for the murder and the part they played in trying to redirect individuals in the murder of this person. If that can happen, this will set a precedence of white people killing black people. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Joe Biden. Joe Biden made a comment the other day stating that that black people are not black people if they vote for Donald Trump. I find this a very odd, I won't say it's offensive, but I've always felt that the problem with the Democrat Party in relationship to black people, the Democrat Party has always been too comfortable with the concept of thinking that we as black people are going to automatically vote for them. And see, I've always felt that when you feel that way, you're too comfortable with us. When you get to the point where you can say whatever you want and you believe that no matter what you do, we're gonna stand behind you. And let's be real, the history is proven. About 95% of black people that are registered to vote, that actually go out and cast a vote, is for a Democrat party. We know the, they know the history. Every four years, presidential candidates come to the black church, the black neighborhoods, and they'll speak, they'll campaign, they'll talk. But afterwards, you don't see them again. Not to the extent that they were when they were campaigning. But I've always believed that getting comfortable with somebody is the same thing as not fully respecting them. When you don't fully respect someone, you're not going to serve them to the best of your abilities. You have the mindset you don't have to serve them. You can just give them pretty much your scraps because you have the mindset that no matter what you do, they're gonna, they're gonna be there. This, you know, this reminds me of like when Bill Clinton ran, you know, him and Al Gore. And when I used to work with the NAACP and they had came to one of the national conventions. And I remember um, George Bush, the, the George W. Bush, I was gonna say the son. 
um, George W. Bush was running. And pretty much during the whole campaign, if you remember, Al Gore had distanced himself from Bill Clinton. But he, he just didn't have that momentum. And I remember George Bush had spoke the previous day, which was odd because a Republican presidential candidate normally don't speak at the NAACP convention. But George Bush got right up there. And there were some boos and some jeers. But George Bush can say, you can boo all you want. I recognize a lot of you in this audience. See, you know, right then and there, that made me sit up. And when he got through with his speech, it made me, it made me rethink some things. Then, here come the next day, Al Gore and Bill Clinton, they in there, they pretty much, instead of talking, they preaching. They up there like they're in the pulpit. They swaying. They're clapping. They singing. I mean, this, they look like stepping and fetch it. And I mean, of course, they had the audience on their feet. Amen this, amen this. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, the only thing that didn't happen was they didn't take up a collection plate. Or a collect, excuse me. They didn't take up a collection but this is the mindset that the Democrat Party has of black people. And it leads me to wonder, is Joe Biden really going to be any different? You know, even, even some of the reports that indicated that there was a lot of talk that he was going to consider an African-American female as his vice president. And I should say, it, 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 it was considered he was going to have a female. But everybody was pretty much thinking in terms of that, that woman was going to be either Stacey Abrams or um, Senator Kamala Harris. But either way, now, you know, now you're hearing reports of Elizabeth Warren is now moving to the top of consideration, which is very interesting because Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren, they were like, they were on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And it makes me wonder, what would she bring to his ticket. Now, I believe that a cabinet post for Senator Warren would be a no-brainer. But overall, what would she bring to the to the to his ticket? I mean, I'm not you know I'm not gonna sit here and lie. I'm a Stacey Abrams fan. I feel that. Stacey Abrams would be the perfect match. And I don't mean just because she's a black woman. I mean, she would be a good candidate. She would match beside anybody else. In fact, what makes her 
to me, qualified as Stacey Abrams could be president of the United States. So that would be a perfect pick for him to have somebody of that magnitude. Because, I mean, let's be real. Stacey Abrams should be governor of the state of Georgia. It's just that Governor Kemp used his position at the time to suppress votes and he squeaked in. Don't get me wrong, black people didn't do what they were supposed to do in which they didn't come out and support Miss Abrams, but without a doubt, I think Stacey Abrams would be an excellent choice for Joe Biden's vice president. While we're on the subject of the president of the United States, or let's talk about our current president of the United States. I remember when Barack Obama, for eight years, was president of the United States. The thing that he kept saying was that his constituency was all American citizens in the United States that he was president of everybody, not just the people that supported him, but also the individuals that didn't vote against, that didn't vote for him, that have actually said vicious things towards him. He always stated, I am their president and I will serve them to the best of my abilities. There were some of us that even were upset that he wasted so much time, what it seemed like he was wasting time to capitulate to these people, to win them over when it was obvious that was not gonna happen. And I wanna say I read somewhere where he has even said that that was one of his regrets that he put too much emphasis on trying to sway others to see what he was trying to do for them when he had to realize or come to the conclusion that it just wasn't about policy. It simply was just about the color of his skin. So when I hear Donald Trump say things like, he's really supporting his constituency and I hear other people are continuing to knock on his door asking hey what are you going to do for us and he's looking like why would I why would I want to do something for you you don't support me you don't believe in me you're really coming after my demise so why would I and so at a certain point I have to admire him for that. I have to give him really a pat on the shoulder to say, hey, you know what? Why would you waste your time, waste your breath trying to get people that don't believe in you? I mean, I'm, I am not a Donald Trump fan. So why would he waste time trying to understand my views? He's not going to get my vote. He doesn't 
do anything, say anything, have any views that I really believe in. You know, the thing I love to ask people on Facebook is, particularly my to my Trump supporters, name me three things that he has done for you that have benefited you directly. And I get the same answer. Well, taxes are lower. Uh, the economy is better. And I'm like, in what way? Explain it. Break it down. But tell me, how does this affect your household? If before Donald Trump was president and you was making $1,000 a month, and when he became president, you started making $1,500 a month. Say, tell, tell me that. Show me that. But see, the thing is, they can't. Then they get upset because they feel that you're badgering them. Because deep inside, you don't have a justified reason for, for supporting him. And the only alternative that you can think of is, is your hatred. It's, that's the only thing that could be concluded. He has given you this green light to express what you have been feeling all this time. He has made it safe for you to get in people of color faces and say things blatantly, go back to Africa, get in the back of the line, learn your place. This is exactly what has motivated these Trump supporters. But again, I ask, give me three things directly to you. Don't give me some policy that he has set. Because first of all, if you're not making $250,000 a year, you do not benefit from Donald Trump. And like I said, when I run this by my Facebook friends, I have an idea what the majority of them make. And I know that the majority of them, if not any of them, are making $250,000. Did any of you see the recommendations that the CDC released for the guidelines to open schools back up? I mean, this is, this is crazy. I mean, of course, they say you got to wear a mask and no sharing of any school items or supplies. You know, no, the desk got to be six feet apart and all facing in one direction. You know, social distancing on the school bus. I think it was saying one, one child per seat and you got to skip rows. You got to install sneeze guards, which, you know, going back to the the distancing on a school bus, one child per seat. I mean, think about it. It's like when you come up with stuff like this, either you're going to make a school bus the length of a train or you're going to have to start picking kids up at about 
four or five o'clock in the mornings and make about 10 trips. I mean, is, I mean, is this, is the, you know, I'm thinking, was this something sarcastic when they made this up? That's crazy. You know, no, you know, no, I guess when changing the classes, where, you know, you, that was pretty much, you know, one of the highlights of the school, because you got a brief break to see your, your buddy, your, your young lady or whatever, uh, going to your wall lockers. This is going to be done away with. Everybody's got to go in one direction. You know, no more field trips, assemblies, you know, almost, I guess, no more PE classes. You know, of course, they got to get temperature checks. It's, school is almost, it's almost like they're going to be 10-hour, 10-hour days minimum based on what they are trying to or they what they feel that school is going to administer. It's almost as if they really are saying we're going to be done with schools. School's going to be a thing of the past. It's almost saying that the public school system is getting ready to become extinct. And that homeschool is going to be mandatory. And let's say if something like that really did happen, can you imagine? Can you imagine the social class gap that this would create in this country? It it, it would be a disaster. But, you know, again, maybe I'm not seeing it the way somebody else is seeing it. But I'm a I'm a you know, I'm a left-handed person. So I think with the left side of my brain, I got to see it. I have to I'm a scheduled person. I can't just list things in my head. I have to see it. So I would love somebody to take these stipulations and lay it out in a day so I can see exactly how a school with this setup from the moment a child wakes up, stands on the bus stop and goes to school, in school, waits for the bus stop at school and is dropped off at home. I saw the little video that they had of a sample of a child going to school in China and it was like, like a little several stations that this child had to go through. And I'm thinking, what if it was the school that I went to in New Jersey, where there were 2,000 students having to do this? I'm thinking by the time the last student got through, it'd be time to go home. But like I said, I would love to see it. I would love to see how they, you know, impose this but to me that's impossible but anyway we're gonna wrap this up again this was another episode of 
There's a system to this madness podcast. My name is Osaze Shabazz. Please leave your comments, leave your questions, leave your corrections, your views. I would love to hear it. Until then, I'll see you all next week. Thank you.